Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast, the incremental anti-diet solution for effective permanent weight loss. Primal Potential is committed to helping you overcome emotional eating, hormonal imbalances, unhealthy habits, and your dieting mindset through education and inspiration. We don't just talk about what you should eat and what you should avoid. We talk strategy. Primal Potential is bridging the gap between knowing and doing. Each episode will leave you with concrete tips for making positive changes that make a difference. Primal Potential is here to help you lose weight, get healthy, and master fat loss naturally. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton, and I am very grateful that you have tuned in for today's very special episode. We are a practical bunch here at Primal Potential. We're not big into theory or anything like that. We want to improve our lives. We want to lose weight and keep it off. Really, we want to burn fat and keep it off. And as you know, on each episode, we tackle a mainstream myth or common weight loss challenge. We provide the facts or the practical solutions. And then, and most importantly, we provide implementation strategies so that you can take action today and get on the path to your unique fat loss lifestyle. And it is really important to me that this message get out to as many people as possible. I really want to help people take hold of their lives and improve them and reach their goals. And you can help me do that. It's really simple. If you've listened to the show and you enjoy it or you find it helpful, first of all, share it with a friend. I'd really love it if you feel like it would reach somebody if you'd share this with them. But take just one minute and head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. That helps iTunes display this podcast to more people. And then we're able to make a bigger difference and help change lives. Okay, I am going to be honest with you and confess that I'm a little nervous about today's episode. I know people want to hear things like, these are the best foods for fat loss, here's what to eat and when, or here are the foods that are keeping you fat and what you should avoid, and I get that, and I like that kind of information too when it's accurate, and a lot of what's out there is not so accurate, but there is another side of the coin, and it's a side of the coin that a lot of people not only don't think about, but most people aren't addressing. People aren't talking about it, and so people aren't solving some big problems. So in typical Elizabeth fashion, we're going to go there. We're going to go there today. And I'll start out by saying this, and I've said it before. If weight loss was easy, if it was as simple as eating healthy and exercising, we would not have an obesity epidemic because I guarantee you that about 90% of overweight or obese people could tell me how they should improve their diet and lose weight. So it's not a matter of knowing what to do. The majority of us truly know how we could improve. Yeah, we might not know all the nuances, but generally speaking, we know how we could start to make progress. That's not the problem. The mindset, 
the motivation, the willpower, and the commitment to change, that's really where the problem is. It's not just defining what to eat and when and how to exercise and how often. So it really does come down to the mental game. The physical game is really important, but the mental game is critical. You cannot win in the long term without addressing the mental game. And one of the things that we have to address is where did the problem stem from? Where did the overeating, the overindulging, maybe the binging or the emotional eating, where did that come from? How did that start? Because if we don't understand the origin of the behavior, we can't really change it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I talk to a lot of people who want to lose weight. Every single day, I'm talking to people who want to lose weight. And almost without fail, they have a less than functional relationship with food. I know I did. In my case, I used food as an escape. Eating allowed me to temporarily disconnect from feelings that I didn't want to deal with. And it could have been any type of feeling, but I used food as a distraction, as an escape, as a sort of numbing mechanism, whether it was stress or loneliness, sometimes it was insecurity, anxiety, or heartbreak. Indulging myself with food allowed me to escape those feelings temporarily. Now, it made the problem worse in the long run, but that's, that's what I was using it for. It was my crutch to help me escape some feelings that I didn't want to feel in that moment. Other people eat to soothe themselves. Food becomes their security blanket of sorts when they're stressed about work or if they're faced with a problem that they don't feel like they have the power to resolve themselves. The one thing they know they can give themselves is indulgence. And there are people that use food as a reward. Often those same people use food as a punishment too. So it's a tool. Either way, Most of us who struggle with our weight, who struggle to lose weight, who struggle being overweight or obese, we've moved away from seeing food as fuel and we've attached all these emotions to it. Now, I'm not saying that food shouldn't be enjoyed and celebrated and that it should only be seen as an energy source. Food is fantastic. It should be celebrated and enjoyed. We should enjoy the heck out of it. But... We should not use it as an emotional or mental crutch. That's when it becomes unhealthy. And it's unhealthy to do that with anything. Food, cigarettes, alcohol, porn, drugs, all of these things are crutches that become very dangerous when we rely on them instead of dealing with the underlying issue. So today I want to challenge everyone to start to consider the origin of your associations with food. Because, and I I say this a lot when I talk about kind of where my issues stemmed from, we're not born thinking of foods as good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. We learn all that. We are not born to soothe ourselves with food. That is something we are taught. Either actively, someone is sending us that message, or passively, we're observing it in the people and the situations around us. In my experience with myself and with my clients, understanding the origin of our association with food, good or bad or good and bad, is a really important step in creating new associations so we can master that mental game 
of eating more healthy and making healthy behavior changes. I'll use my own story as an example. Some of you are familiar with this, and I I go into a lot more detail uh, on my personal story, my personal struggles, especially when I was a lot younger, on the blog. So you can head over to primalpotential.com. There are a couple of really emotional posts over there. I've mentioned on a couple of previous episodes here on the podcast that I was a chunky baby born into a thin family. And my mom was always anxious about my weight. Part of it was because she wanted me to be healthy and she wanted me to avoid things like teasing and bullying because of my weight. But there was another factor and that was that you know, she felt like my weight was a reflection of her abilities as a parent. And so she was embarrassed. She was embarrassed by my weight. And that's not something that you know she really understood consciously until much later in my life. But she felt like it was a reflection. And so she pushed very hard for me to lose weight. And she began began to restrict my food and talk to me about my weight when I was really young. Like I have memories as early as four years old of knowing that she was unhappy with my weight and wanted me to lose weight. And I'll say it again, her intentions were good. She wasn't trying to hurt me and it wasn't that she didn't love me, but she programmed in my mind some really unhealthy associations with food and body weight from a very young age. It was frustrating to me as a kid, and it really did some deep programming in me because my sister, who was taller and thinner, was allowed to eat pretty much anything, but my portions were restricted, and I wasn't given the same treats and sweets that my sister got. And I would get a look that I like to think of as my mom's extra special Catholic guilt look uh, when I would try to get seconds at a meal or if I would ask for a sweet or a treat or something like that, I would get that Catholic guilt look and I knew at a very, very young age that certain things were bad or off limits. That was programmed in me consciously or unconsciously. And her intentions were good. But her actions created the framework for how I would view food and my body for a really long time. And just a side note here, you know, for any parents that are listening, it's a powerful responsibility, not just as it relates to food, but you are teaching your child how to see the world, how to see learning, how to see education, how to see food, how to see self-confidence in what you do and what you say. So just a, you know, an awareness, not a warning, but an awareness of the powerful influence we have over the young people in our lives. So anyway, I started to see at a very young age that food was limited and that some foods were off limits to me. And for a kid, and for a lot of adults too, knowing that I couldn't have something, whether it was cookies or ice cream or a second helping of dinner, it made me want it even more. It made it larger than life. And since I knew that my food would be restricted because my mom was actively restricting it, I developed what now I hear referred to a lot of as fear of missing out or FOMO, related to food, because I felt like if I didn't eat as much as possible now, there might not be any later. So I would kind of hoard. And I also started to see sweets and treats as larger than life. They became sort of this holy grail because they were so tightly controlled. 
When food was available to me, I would eat as much as I could. But I always felt really hesitant, even as a very, very young kid, to eat in front of other people because I knew my mom was watching me. I kind of assumed that everyone else was. So in typical kid fashion, I began to sneak food. I'd hide food. I'd hoard food. I'd eat in private, especially I'd overeat in private. And I adopted a very shameful view of eating and indulging and of my body weight. And it carried those behaviors with me through adolescence and into adulthood, but I never really identified them until much later in life because they were second nature. It was just the way I was. They developed so early that I just thought, I love sweets and I don't have impulse control. There was an unconscious process of assuming that these learned behaviors were just my nature. It was just the way I was. It's not true, but because it happened so young, I just, I just accepted it. And eating was this rebellious act for me. I would almost always eat in private because I was afraid that I might be judged if I ate in front of other people. So why am I telling you all this? At the end of the day, it's because I want you to get healthy and stay that way. And I want you to heal from the inside out. I don't want you to go on a crash diet and think it's going to solve all your problems because it's a waste of your time and energy. I want you to find permanent, lasting change. And I want you to get to a place where your fat loss becomes effortless. And yeah, a lot of that has to do with what you eat. And a lot of that has to do with balancing your hormones. But we also have to become aware of our disordered eating patterns and take charge to rewrite our relationship with food. We have to address that angle. We have to address the mental game of this. If we don't, then we'll just always be in that cycle of diet, lose some weight, go back to old habits, put the weight back on. Diet, lose some weight, go back to old habits, put the weight back on. We have to change the mind game. Most of us aren't overweight because we're weak or we're lazy. We aren't overweight because we don't know what it means to eat healthy. Most of us who have had a long-term struggle with our weight We have deeper, more complex food issues that we need to discover. And I don't think you need to lay on a couch for hours every day and like think about your feelings, but there are some simple, straightforward steps that you can take right now, today, in this moment, as you listen to this podcast that can change everything. And if you make even just one aha moment or mental switch It can change everything. It can change the way you look at food. It can stop your emotional eating in its tracks. It doesn't take years of psychobabble and self-analysis. Just one paradigm shift. If you have just one aha moment, that can change it all for you. And I get so excited about it because it's so powerful. And so many people just want this like magic bullet. Eat these foods and you'll lose weight forever. The magic bullet, folks, is in your head. The magic bullet is in your heart. The magic bullet is inside you. It's inside you. You have the power. If you can just tap into why you do what you do and realize that it's not serving you, you start to just naturally make better decisions. All right. Okay. Let's get practical. You know me. I got to get up on that soapbox at least once per episode or else I'm not fulfilled in life. It just happens. It's the preacher in me that gets carried away. Okay. Practical. 
I'd love for you to take out a journal or a piece of paper. If you're driving, don't worry. Don't pull out your journal or piece of paper. Um, I will put these questions in the show notes on primalpotential.com so you can do it later or you can just replay this episode. Um, Or pull over and do it now. If you're really feeling like you're in a space where you feel like you're ready to dive into this, take a few minutes and make the time to do it. I want you to start by asking yourself why you overeat. Now, that might seem like, well, because I really like the garbage red velvet cake from Walmart. And I'm not criticizing you. That happens to be one of my things. They have this little red velvet cake and I think it's quite lovely, but that's not why I overeat. Take yourself there in your mind to a time when you went overboard, when you overindulged or you binged or you kind of went on an emotional eating tear. What were you feeling? Did you enjoy the experience that led up to the decision to overeat, did you enjoy the experience of overeating? What led to it? This is the big part that I really want you to focus in on. What prompted you? And did you have to talk yourself into it? Did you have to talk yourself into debate with yourself, convince yourself to overeat or overindulge? I almost always have to talk myself into it. And it's not hard. I can do it really easily. Um, but some of my greatest self-discovery came when I started to evaluate how I talk myself into overeating or overindulging. So I'll give you an example. The feeling leading up to it for me most often was a feeling of being overwhelmed, being lonely, or being sad. Feeling sad was usually tied to feeling lonely. Okay, so I was either overwhelmed or I was lonely, which made me feel sad. And then the process, and this all happens internally and it happens very quickly, but this is what I'm asking you to dive into. I would say to myself in my head, not out loud, I'm not that crazy, although I do it sometimes. You've been working so hard lately. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to go to the store and get cake and ice cream. You will feel better. And then when I started to pay attention and tap into this internal dialogue that was happening, I would ask myself, again, what prompted that mental dialogue to talk myself into overindulging, and it's usually loneliness or being overwhelmed. And then I would say, how do I try to talk myself into it? In this example is by telling myself it will make me feel better. So then I'd have two more questions. Number one why am I feeling sad or why am I feeling lonely or why am I feeling overwhelmed? And then I'd ask, do I think that cake and ice cream solve the problem that's making me feel lonely or making me feel overwhelmed? Obviously, I noticed really quickly that the two were not related at all. Having cake and ice cream did not in any way make me less lonely and it did not in any way make me less overwhelmed. In fact, in most cases, it made it worse because if I was overwhelmed, now I'm feeling guilt and I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling like I've let myself down by overindulging. And so I'm even more overwhelmed because I feel like I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to have the discipline I need to reach my goals. Or if I was lonely, I'd always overeat or overindulge in private. So I'm isolating myself further. And then as that cycle continues and I stay really heavy and I stay overweight and I'm always in this sugar coma, I isolate myself even more. So I'm feeling more lonely. 
So though it seems simple and straightforward, just that kind of aha moment of there is a problem and I am trying to solve it in a way that doesn't at all solve the problem was like, well, that's silly. I'm smarter than that, right? So the first and most important result of that exercise was an awareness that my approach made no sense. It was like realizing that I was taking a pillow to a gunfight. I knew I was bringing a pillow because I love my pillow and it's comfortable, but just realizing that the pillow has absolutely no utility in a gunfight, I was able to think, dang, Elizabeth, you need to find a smarter solution because if you're trying to, you know, solve the problem of a gunfight with a pillow, you're going to be in this cycle forever and ever and ever. It's going to kill you, quite literally. So the other thing that... I carefully evaluated to help me understand and overcome my negative association with foods was not just looking at why I overindulge, but looking at how. So step one is going to be, you know, what feelings precipitate the desire to overeat or overindulge? And then how do you go from that desire to actually doing it? What is that internal dialogue, right? And does it make sense? Does it solve whatever problem there is, right? That's part one. But the other thing was looking at how I overindulge. So I sat down with my journal, and you can do this now. You can pause this recording, uh, or you can come back to it later. But I sat down with my journal and started writing about the circumstances around most of my indulgences, the times that I binged, the times that I went overboard. And I realized it wasn't that I was going out to some fantastic restaurant and picking these amazing things off an incredible menu, literally for me. I was driving to a dive grocery store closest to my house and buying three or four different things because, you know, you had to have all your bases covered, crunchy, sweet, salty, creamy, and then bringing it home to eat them alone in my home office. Or other times I would drive to a gas station, not kidding you, to a gas station on the way to work and do the same thing. Hit all the targets, crunchy, salty, creamy, sweet, and then, and they're pitiful choices. It's a gas station for crying out loud. And then I would close my office door at work and eat in private. So not even foods that were like worth it, you know, exceptional things that I wouldn't normally have access to, just easily available garbage. So once you've identified what it looks like for you when you overindulge, go through the same process and start to evaluate it. Ask yourself, Do you totally love the things you're indulging in? Is it worth it? For me, the answer was no. I love ice cream, but I wasn't indulging in gourmet ice cream or incredible food. I'm a little bit of a foodie. It was like Doritos and Skittles or like the the ice cream sandwiches from the little freezer thing at the gas station. I mean, honestly, not worth it at all. And then ask yourself, if you're going to indulge, what would be the one or two or three things that would be absolutely worth it, where you would savor every single bite? What would make that experience the most enjoyable and satisfying for you? And this was a big one too. I want you to ask yourself, how present are you when you overeat, when you overindulge, when you binge, whatever? For me, I was doing this while watching TV or working, and I would find that afterwards, I almost didn't even remember it. It wasn't like I was savoring every bite and it was this great experience. 
I allowed myself to go overboard because I wasn't even paying attention. I wasn't even aware of it. I hardly even remembered the food after I finished it. So ask yourself, are you present? Are you savoring it? Do you remember the experience after it's over or are you mindlessly wolfing this stuff down? If you're someone who eats alone, like I did, why? Is it because other people distract you from enjoying it or are you hiding or do you not want to be seen? Here's what this exercise did for me. It allowed me to see that I wasn't even indulging on stuff that I would consider really worth it. I established through this exercise that there are a few things that are really worth indulging for me. And if I'm going to go for it, I want to be totally present in the experience. I want it to be foods that are really worth it. And that's not like three day old red velvet cake from Walmart. And I don't want to indulge in these extra special things while I'm working or watching TV or hiding. I want to be fully present and I want to savor every bite and I don't want to have guilt attached to it. And I realized that I would rather have those precious indulgences once a month or so than this other junk from a gas station once a week or more when my emotions got carried away and it was reactionary and it wasn't even pleasurable, truly. It really wasn't. It created more stress and more discomfort Um, than it took away. I also realized that I'd enjoy my favorite, most worthwhile indulgences even more if I could share the experience with people I love. And I was able to identify for myself that hiding my food didn't allow me to enjoy it more. In fact, it compounded the problems of feeling lonely and isolated and awful about myself. So the first step of lasting change is awareness. Become aware of your own process right now as it relates to overindulging. Ask yourself what triggers you to overindulge. What are the two or three most common emotions that make that happen? And then what happens next? Between the emotional trigger and putting the food in your mouth, what happens? What are your thought processes along the way? And do they make sense? Are you solving problems? Do your actions in any way solve the problem that you're experiencing? What are some of the alternative solutions that you could try to solve those problems? And when you indulge, is it worth it? Is it what you want? What would be worth it and under what circumstances? If you allowed yourself those things every once in a while, How could you enjoy them most? Are you truly enjoying your indulgences or are you numb to them? It's not as much about developing an alternative strategy as much as it is about unlocking your power to make new decisions when you realize that what you're doing isn't working, isn't solving the problem, and isn't making you happy. Sometimes it's just that we've never stopped to think about it and analyze our own behavior. So whether you do it right now or you do it a little bit later, I encourage you to grab a journal or a piece of paper and just think through those questions. I will put them in the show notes so that you can work through them in your own time. If you found this helpful, I do encourage you, please, please, please head over to the iTunes store, leave a rating and review. It would help me reach more people. And that is truly my heart's desire. 
So thank you so much for being here today. I'd love to know what additional topics you'd like me to cover. You can comment on the show notes page on primalpotential.com or you can email me directly, elizabeth at primalpotential.com and let me know how I can help you, what topics would help you overcome your challenges. Thanks for tuning in and until next time, stay healthy.